Concrete tagline, Kelly Wand. Finally, a movie where Mel Gibson's a cop on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wand, there have to at least be two taglines for this. Finally, a movie where Mel Gibson rams a vehicle. <laughs> I think Please. you could go in this vein for a while. Is there a third one? Warning, actual concrete may be metaphorical. Hmm. I think there's little. I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. That that tagline worked until near the end of the movie. Uh, that was actually the first tagline, and I bumped it twice. Right, so. because you saw at a certain point someone crawling across concrete, and you're like, "Yeah, well, okay, I guess not." Crossed it out, right? I like to think no one's still listening by this point. Like they heard the good ones and went, "All right." Well, well, I see about him walking on concrete. Front so load the good ones, scuffing, scuffing cool. concrete. Yeah. yeah. Listening on near concrete. That's how you do a podcast. Well, Kelly Wan, do we have a fourth tagline for Dragged Across Concrete, or is it just three? Uh, I was going to announce that I have an Easter egg about the Exorcist Mom song I wrote, but I'm going to save it for the Avengers podcast. Uh, I have no idea what you're saying, but I look forward to it uh, next week. It'll <laughs> make sense later. You saw the Avengers, like, like, a few years ago. Dingus, what movie did we see this week, though? <laughs> That's Dingus's contribution to how little sense I made. This week we saw Dragged Across Concrete, a 2019 American action drama, neo-noir crime thriller movie about a solid wall-like structure raised for defense. It was written and directed by S. Craig Zoller. It stars Vince Vaughn, Mel Gibson, Tori Kittrez, Michael Jai White, Thomas Kretschmann, Jennifer Carpenter, and Lori Holtman. Sorry, it's that was Tori Kittles, not Tori Kittres. Uh, Dragged Across Concrete is rated R. What? For strong violence, <laughs> grisly images, language, and some sexuality slash nudity. Kelly Wonder, are there any other reasons it should be rated R? The Revenant had grisly images. Too easy for you, Kelly Wand. I noticed for parents, improper use of a floor, I mean a door chain lock. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm going blind. Improper use of a liquor store. Um, Improper combination of a bicycle and a beverage. Uh, improper use of cellophane. I rate it G for everyone. Uh, Dragged Across Concrete didn't have a theatrical release, so it's uh, not on. Uh, doesn't have a box office mojo entry, and it of course didn't get a cinema score polling. But if it had, it would have gotten a D because people would have expected to see uh, a wacky comedy about Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn as cops, and uh, <laughs> what Mel Gibson is really annoyed at Vince Vaughn eating. Uh, and they would expect to see that wacky comedy, and instead they'd see Dragged Across Concrete, and they would give it a D when they were pulled leaving the theater. But that didn't happen. Instead, critics rated it uh, an average of 62 out of 100. That's the aggregate on Metacritic. And of the reviews, 74% of them were positive, according to Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. Kelly Wand, I would like you. It's a long movie. A lot happens. Uh <laughs> 
why don't you tell us what happens in the movie? Maybe clarify things uh, in your own words. What are the events that happened in Dragged Across Concrete? What would I call such a thing is the real question. A difficult endeavor, I'm sure. Okay. I, I just don't envy you having to uh, do what you're about to have to do. <laughs> no, I don't envy me either. We just got to get through it, Tom, like Avengers. Um, dragged across. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that that's a good, that's well. a good start. I know. Well, it's probably indicative. Um, dragged across. <laughs> damn it. Dragged across Concropsis. Is it just me? Is that hard? Dragged across Concropsis. Dragged across Concropsis. No, that's difficult to say, yeah. Tom was right to not envy. Dragged across Concropsis. A black guy named Henry has a black friend who was in the winning movie of the inaugural quarter to three movie podcast. Lottery. Remember? Cool. But first, Henry <laughs> has sex with a girl. <laughs> I know, no one's there for that. <laughs> That's how it felt at the time, actually, when we were watching it. But first, Henry has sex with a girl of uncertain ethnicity, because the lighting's kind of sepia, and it's my mom's TV. <laughs> uncertain ethnicity. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's not on her. That's a box that you check. Yeah. That's why it's rated R, due to uncertain ethnicities represented. Like on a job application. Yeah, in Just shrug the box. Check that box. Henry's all, bitch, I liked you in elementary school. I liked me too. Really? Wish I'd known. Some words are all three weeks later. Some more words are all dragged across concrepsis. See, I changed it. <laughs> Mel squats on a fire escape while Vince walks up drinking coffee. You didn't bring me a coffee. It spilled. <laughs> Here we go. Wow. <laughs> wow. He's not devoid of ethnicity. <laughs> I know which one he is. And I watched Mad Max undubbed. You didn't go back and get me one. The Starbucks grew chicken legs and walked off. That's been spawned, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Mel's all. <sighs> Hacksaw Ridge. Stinky gonna do rusty pipes. Beside me, Mr. Glass is all classic stinky. <laughs> Naked Arnold leans over and goes, I have played many police officers and shrewd investigators over the course of my career, including the Terminator. He was a time cop over there. He knew how the temperatures worked and made the witty catchphrases about being black. <laughs> I also taught the kindergartners what a tumor was. John Belushi taught to speak Russian without a noticeable accent. <laughs> also, Conan the Barbarian was a freelance cop, and Mr. Freeze was a cop killer. Because the Gotham City cops didn't know how the temperatures work. <laughs> what? I know. It's weird that he was even in the movie theater, I thought. Where my mom's TV is kept, that movie theater. By the time Arnold winds down, Gibson's stepping on a fat Mexican's neck. Not a metaphor. All right, where's the green duffel bag? The beaver sucked, essay. Why, you? Do you know what that puppet cost? 
Mel moves his foot. We hear the guy's deck bow crack, although he doesn't act hurt. I mean, it was hot warming. Yeah, beaver. Huh? Wait, stop. Handcuffs. Ow. Oh, they're too loose. I could get away. Please make them tighter. Mel and Vince find a dirty, naked woman in the guy's apartment, so they make her take a shower. (laughs) There's strict laws in Bulwark. All right, where's the green duffel bag? If you tell us, we'll let you go and not subject you to further hygiene. The bag is in the closet off screen. (laughs) Thanks, sugar tits. Vince, go back to the shower stall. Did an American accent? It's not. It's fine, right? Be best. Thanks, sugar tits. Vince, back to the shower stall with her, and don't let her out till she's drunk the whole thing. But you said you've just been Mel and Vinced. Vinced. <laughs> Mel looks at us. Check out this mustache. No tough streetwise characters ever looked like this before. Hey. Beside me, Dennis Farina sighs glumly. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Henry scares a guy into having pity sex with his mom and taking their trash out. Then Henry plays Lion Country Safari, the video game, with his comical crippled son, Prongus. (laughs) Haha, man, shoot lions is fucking easy. They don't even have guns, huh, Dad? Uh, it says on the box you were supposed to be feeding them. Damn. Getting cage cleanup quests. Boom, suck it, Simba. Man, this is what I want to do for a living. Woo! Oh, they make schools for game design? Dude, they have game websites where you can listen to people reenact movies with eight racist accents. Woo! Boom, suck it, Aslan. More like dead free. Woo! Also, fuck game design. I just want to go into parks and shoot cats. Isn't that a job? Henry's face is all, why did I have kids, too? That's when I was getting them mixed up. Meanwhile, some different black guys <laughs> wait on a street giggling. <laughs> Gibson's daughter walks by. One of the black guys offers her a drink, but slips. <laughs> Meet you. Meanwhile, at home, Gibson's wife hobbles annoyingly around the living room using a cane because she likes attention. They make the daughter watch a show about lion cubs instead of play the game where you shoot him. She's a girl. The next day, Don Johnson leaves acting to become chief of police in the city of Bulwark. Good work cracking the duffel bag caper, guys. Stockholders of the Duffel Corporation will try to care. Also, damn it, Gibson, the director of this movie filmed you standing on that guy's neck. He says it's going to be the opening of a new movie it's making called Drags Across Concrete. Although I guess you didn't drag him, and it wasn't. Spence is all anchovies. <laughs> um, concrete, Vaughn, concrete. The Hispanic community is demanding you both be suspended for six weeks and one day without pay. Although, if it was with pay, I guess it wouldn't really be suspension so much as vacation. Give me your badges. (laughs) And in fire escape news, cops. Here's some shocking YouTube footage of former actor and sugar tit enthusiast Mel Gibson (laughs) stepping on a fat Hispanic man's neck. If you have any young children watching, you may wish to have them spayed. 
The fat man's lawyer had this to say. There have to be other body parts the cops can step on if they want to buy a duffel bag. Oh, I also had a line here about trampled rights, but I thought it was maybe too on the nose. Uh, my client's nose was also trampled, but he did that himself. He's pretty limber. Meanwhile, in a liquor store, Thomas Hayden Church, wearing gloves and flight goggles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we've all seen both of those movies and understand that yet. One person ever goes to a liquor store. He turns the sign on the door around to open. Thanks, man. Sick of people always coming in here. I want cigarettes. You have five seconds to execute the register. Give me its contents or you will be empty. I mean, uh, is there any way we can make it three seconds? Because it doesn't actually take me that long. You have five seconds to shut up or you will be executed. Hang on, my watch stopped. All right, five <laughs> seconds. Starting. Wait for the hand to go back up to the 12. <laughs> so I don't have to. And go. <laughs> You've not opened the register in the allotted time. Oh, I didn't know those five seconds stacked with the same ones you wanted me not to talk during. <laughs> I get it now. I'm sorry. All right, start over. <laughs> Fine, but my character is very ruthless, so do not attempt to not empty the register or you will be executed. So, three seconds. I never agreed to three seconds. <laughs> Also, it typically takes me like eight seconds to shut up. So if I can maybe transfer those extra seconds. Silence or you'll be executed. <laughs> You're also hard to understand with that mask on, by the way. Silence. Empty the register in four seconds. That's the lowest I'm going to go. Hang on. <laughs> Wait for the hand to come back up again. Twelve. <laughs> Almost there. Hang on. Just 57 more seconds. Actually, the register's open. A dumbass runs in. Hey, what's clothes mean? Do you sell live geese, Spidey? Thomas Hayden gets scared and accidentally shoots the confused geese enthusiast. I added a little there because the movie's too short. The cashier holds up the register drawer. Hey, there's no money in this by the Thomas Hayden accidentally shoots him. Meanwhile, Mel goes to see his friend at the Gap. He's that actor who looks like Jude Law's grandmother. <laughs> But isn't Armin Mueller stall? He's like the Jude Law version of Armin Mueller stall. He's kind of, you know, shiny. These coats here don't have price tags. Yes, those are five thousand dollars each. Aren't they bulletproof? Those are a buck sixty. Also, make sure you use soft bullets. I'm here to see Jude Law's grandmother, that guy with the eyes. Later in a talking room. <laughs> What can I do for you, Mr. Gibson? How is Passion 2, Christ in Hell already coming? Reshoots on location. I need you to call someone I can rob to buy me wife a better cane and also me daughter a raincoat. Also, don't forget that time I accidentally got your daughter into USC. Very well, I will do whatever you just said. 
now. <laughs> the guy doesn't, so Mel leaves. Meanwhile, in a garage. Okay, Mr. Hayden Church, here's that van that says Bulwark on the side that you wanted. Church shoots the van admiringly. Yep, airless tires, so you may want to stop at a gas station and inflate them. Uh, is Bulwark seriously the name of this city? What is this, Resident <laughs> Evil? Later, in a car. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Vince, how long is it going to take you to eat an egg salad sandwich? No wonder this thing's two and a half hours long. Two best things about stakeout movies are them ending in the food. By the way, what are we doing? I'm also going to ask, what's your face to marry me? I bought a ring from Jude Law's grandma's jewelry counter. <laughs> huh? Look at that. No. 24 carat anchovy. Shh, look. Car's driving into a parking garage. The question is, why? The car parks. Meanwhile, Anne Hathaway starts to get on a bus. But forgets how, so she goes back to her apartment and knocks on the door. Damn it, Hath, would you go to work already? Please, let me just kill that. Let me just kiss that baby extra. Oops. It's a complicated syndrome, the thing I have. I confuse kiss and kill, but I want to do something to that baby extra's foot. You want to what? Start all over. That line didn't make any sense. I want to kiss the baby extra's foot goodbye. Ugh. Wait, you're taking his booty with you to work? He needs that to walk with. Good, too late, bye. Later in a bank. Ah, <laughs> uh, welcome back, Anne. Employee of the month. And all it took you was not coming in for the last 30 days due to your baby foot fetish issues. For she's a jolly good fellow, and so say one of us. And I made you these cupcakes shaped like baby's feet. That's what they're going to smell. Wait, what? Yeah, she works there. Thank you all. It means a lot to me, especially after getting killed off so unceremoniously on Dexter and in quarantine to finally get a, a fun roll with some decent screen time. Nobody move for five seconds or you will be executed. Four, five, wait. Uh, you, you have five seconds to handcuff everybody to that pen chained to the counter. Or I will execute this person. Wait, what? I'm one of the robbers. Uh, sir, these aren't handcuffs. It's a party banner? Grats on a successful bank robbery? <sighs> All right. Which one of you has five seconds to come help me buy some handcuffs? Hathaway's black friend nudges her and points to his computer screen. He's typed out, ha ha, worst villain in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Hathaway screams. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I hope you understand the movie better now. I hope I'm answering those questions you're talking about. I'm not just confusing you more. That would be embarrassing. Hathaway screams and quickly tries to type, except Franco and Venom, but Church accidentally shoots off her fingers. Please, can you give this knitted shoe to my son, Sasquatch? He loves bloodstained footwear. <laughs> Church accidentally shoots the booty. My mom wanders into the living room and goes, how's your Mel Gibson movie? Maybe I'll watch a little with you. I'm all, yeah, maybe come back later. Uh, I also need to buy stamps. Next five seconds. That's banks, right? So book of five in 200 seconds. I mean... Mel and Vince drive past the bank. The glass entrance is blockaded by the bulwark van. 
the bank security guard is standing outside and scratching his head and staring at the van. There's a bunch of bodies <laughs> visible on the floor through the doors, and they're smeared with blood. The guard looks at them, too, and scratches his head, then heads off to Starbucks. Vince is all. Anchovies. Good effort, Vince, but I'm afraid it's the bank robbery. I say we circle the block and see if any other building doorways have dead body issues. Also, you might want to start assembling your uh, Lego sniper rifle there. And finish that sandwich. Bank robbery, shouldn't we call it in? From the back seat, Ian Holmes' head pukes milk and goes, They're already there, so by the time they get back, we'll know if it's a warning. <laughs> Poor Tom. Later. Henry and his black friend Gary are in whiteface. They drive Thomas Hayden and his mask enthusiast friends around in the van. The extra they took as a hostage is all. Um, I have to pee again. Henry's all. Gary, what? I think these guys are dicks. What? Say, Gary, later we should eat those cellophane guns we put bullets into <laughs> earlier. <laughs> what? Black character. Uh, number two. Does anyone follow him? Uh, nope. <laughs> Gary, what? Hey, are you two whispering up there? You five have two seconds to stop whispering or I will be executed. I mean, Gary, 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 what? When I give the signal, do something cool. In the car behind them, Vince crunches his way through another egg salad sandwich while Mel watches glumly. Gary drives up to a warehouse door. Henry gets out, winks at Gary, and starts to open the door. Gary tears the cellophane off his pistol, throws his pistol out the window, aims the cellophane at Thomas Hayden Church, and goes, I mean, Gary accidentally shoots himself <laughs> while Henry runs off giggling. Thomas Hayden's all. <clears throat> Gary's all. I'd like to see you find a way to get this out of me. He eats the key, then throws it back up. He's all, uh, uh, I'd like to see you to find a way to get this out of me. Still, he eats it again. Thomas Hayden's friend sighs and opens his pocket knife. The hostage, I think it's Hathaway, is all, don't pop the liver, he's black. They dig her out of Gary's intestines for a bit with knives. My mom wanders into the living room. How's your Mel Gibson movie? Maybe I'll watch a little with you. I'm all, yeah, uh, okay. No, go away. <laughs> Maybe later. Whoa, this guy sure eats a lot of keys. Hey, check it out, Louisiana license plate. <laughs> Mel and Vince drive up and park nearby. <laughs> uh, what's the plan, uh, anchovies? Thomas Hayden and his friends respond by shooting poorly at them, but Mel and Vince trick the bullets by ducking. Then by hiding under the car while Vince lies prone and squints through a sniper rifle scope at his thumb. I can't see him. Vince, use your open eye. <sighs> Little police squad. Meanwhile, Vince's girlfriend breaks into his house, ransacks his closet, and opens boxes till she finds one with an engagement ring in it. She's all, ugh. Back at the warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> we can relate. Back at the warehouse, Thomas Hayden looks at the hostage and goes, All right, do everything I say or we'll find where your family lives. And and then drive off. Vince, look, Anne Hathaway's crawling towards us. Cool, I told her this day would come. That's it, Hathaway, a little more. 
hey, why do you think they let you? And then I get bored and shoots Vince also hitting the hostage. As Vince coughs up blood, his phone rings. He picks it up, looks at the screen, sighs bleakly. Not the answer I was hoping for. He dies. Mel looks at the phone screen. It says marriage proposal accepted. Mel tricks the robbers by ramming them and then by shaking a can of soda and dropping it down into the van through the window. Yeah, you've just been Gibson. <laughs> Henry somehow shoots Mel off the top of the van and then shoots Mel's gun sliding across the concrete. Right, me wife needs to buy a new cane. Let's team up, split the gold, and get rich. To be honest, it might be a bit nice to finally partner up with someone who doesn't have some food-related catchphrase. Cool as cotton candy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the black mammoth kind of. Oh, by the way, I just taped you fools shit shooting that hostage on my phone over there. I somehow got a good angle on it from that wall. Yeah. Damn, no one ever videos me shooting someone bad. Mel and his new black friend for the moment tow the van to a lake and sink it. As bubbles burst on the water's surface. Wait, which car do we put the gold in again? Hours later, they stand on the shoreline soaking wet. Watching as this time Mel's car sinks. Followed by the Bulwark van again. Wait, how are we getting home? Eventually, they get everything sucking correctly and sit soaking wet in the front seat of Mel's car. By the way, he draws a gun and points it at Henry's jugular. Now give me that phone. I don't want you blackmailing me later. Get what's in my face out of your hand. I think Mel accidentally <laughs> shoots himself. <laughs> Please, send me family some gold and bury me over there next to that alligator. Also, Vince's girlfriend's single again, if you're interested. Ugh. Mel dies. Henry buries everybody in some shallow mounds side by side. I'll come back and bury you deeper off screen after the animals eat you. Bye. Some words are all six months later. Henry's rich now and lives in a white mansion with his mom and her masseuse. How's that happy ending treating you, Ma? Once upon... <laughs> oh, God. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it says, read till Dingus screams. Protests. Henry loses interest, as does Dingus, and goes into a TV room. Hey, Dad, check it out. It's that forest game from Destroyer. <laughs> he blows up. <laughs> See, it's podcast canon. Joke I cannot get. I feel that one was for me, Kelly. One. Destroyer. A lot of them. Most, they're all for you, pretty much. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, suck it, Treebeard. Hey, let's finish that lion game we haven't touched once in six months. That'll be fun. <laughs> the sun sighs globally. Meanwhile, in the Gibson apartment. Mom, look, we got mail from Dad. Wait, where have we thought he is all this time? Also, is Henry's kid the guy who keeps throwing drinks at me? That's hot. Mrs. Gibson opens the mail. It's full of yellow packing material, but is otherwise empty. She sighs glumly. Some credits remind me who else got shot. Apparently, Hathaway's boss's name was Mr. Edmington. The end. <sighs> Thank you, Kelly Wand. Did what I could. Did what I, I could. Well I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like your new Don Johnson voice. Very nicely done. Yeah. You know, um, it makes up for other things. Hopefully. Well, Dingus, you go first. What did you think of this movie? What's a movie that's a little bit better and a movie that's not quite as good as Dragged Across Concrete? 
Uh, I actually really, really liked this movie a lot. Um, uh, under this, I'd put a movie that you steered me away from, but that I also liked quite a bit more than uh, I think you did, although I haven't read your review of it. Um, I really did like Brawl in Cell Block 99. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I did yeah. like it. Um, and so I put that under this. And and just over this, I would put Free Fire because I think they have mm. some of the same sort of uh, tonal qualities and and just fall apartness. Hmm. So I, I really liked this quite a bit. Kelly Wand, what's a movie that's a little bit better than Drag Across Concrete? A movie that's not quite as good, and uh, what's your overall opinion? Free Fire's a good over. I, I went with uh, a like cop where you know both sides kind of well actually i didn't i only did for one of them but my my big note was like it made me want to watch cell block 99 that you didn't like because now i just want to see all zoller so i haven't seen it yet but i'm really curious about it because um yeah this guy's great (laughs) i like all of his movies i thought the gore added a lot of tension and the dialogue uh, i think he was he's really good at presenting merciless creatively sadistic antagonists so my over is bone tomahawk and my under is a triple nine um which i like but not as oh good mm-hmm. it didn't those characters weren't as exciting to me as these characters and i loved just the last you know it kind of it, like not at first but like it sort of satisfies that happens all in a single night thing like not the whole movie but there's a substantial bits dedicated to just one long prolonged sequence so i like movies like that like free fire too um, so yeah, no, it's great. Thanks for turning me on to this movie. I appreciate it. Um, I uh, I have a bit of an issue with it in that I admire it deeply. I, I think that uh, Craig Zoller is just a, a fantastic filmmaker. Um, but I'm uh, so my over and under are also movies that I really really admire, uh, and I'm not sure I could say I like them because I think the fundamental characteristic of these three movies uh, is that they're cruel. And I am not sure that there's a purpose to Dragged Across Concrete's cruelty. Uh, It verges on nihilism. And uh, Hmm. I found it very cathartic to watch. And as a piece of filmmaking, it's it's just amazing. As a piece of writing, it's amazing. But I come out of it wondering why, what was his point, and did he even have one? And I suspect maybe he didn't. Uh, I'm not sure that it lessens my admiration for the movie. But I do question. I mean, what is the value of something that's this cruel? What do you mean? So, well, my under. So let me explain to you my over and my under. My under is Irreversible, which is Gaspar Noé's also very, very cruel movie, uh, and and just baldly nihilistic. There's no disguising. I think there's even a title card at the end of Irreversible that's like, uh, I think it even says something like everything is shit. But uh, that that's kind of his point, and that's the, the cruelty in Irreversible is just unbridled, and it's the point of it. And there's still a lot of craft to it. Gaspar Noe uh, knows what he's doing. He's, he's a solid filmmaker. Uh, and while I admire Irreversible, I'm not sure what the point is. I don't really need to be mm. told that everything sucks. Um, and so halfway between uh, – above that, I, I think that there's a lot more craft and a lot more entertainment value in, uh, in 
dragged across concrete. But over it is another example of a movie that I think is really cruel, but for a purpose. Uh, the cruelty in this movie that I'm about to mention that I that I like better. I'm not necessarily sure I would say it is better, but I certainly felt better about watching this other movie. The cruelty in this other movie that I'm putting above Dragged Across Concrete uh, is designed, I think, to make you think, and it's to pose a very specific question that by the time the movie is over is amply clear. Um, and it's a movie called It Comes at Night, uh, which I also think is just... Mm really cruel they're they're just the, the filmmaker does very cruel manipulative things to the audience uh but i think that there's a, a very definite purpose behind the questions posed and it comes at night and i i'm not sure i see that in dragged across concrete huh so you, you were asking what, what do i mean by by it being cruel kelly wand or what, what? yeah well what like where you you feel that there's a point you're missing or that you need a point other than it just being more dramatic and adding tension well, is there uh, so so I, I what what is stark for me in Dragged Across Concrete is the distance between its moments of cruelty and poignance. And there are both of these. And I think they inform each other. The brutal moments wouldn't be as brutal without the poignant moments and, and vice versa. Uh, right. And uh, those extremes, I'm just not sure what I'm supposed to get out of this, out of watching this movie, uh, just to be entertained. Is there a statement here about uh, police work or about trusting people or about racism? Sure. I, I, oh, because I kind of think there isn't. But uh, if there was, I didn't really get that. Uh, I, I didn't really get a political message out of this is, is what I'm saying. Well, I, I think that something that Kelly Wan just said um, about their about this about the cruelty creating tension, which I think you said, Kelly, yeah. Uh, um, he said the gore part, created tension, but yeah, that's the part and parcel of the cruelty. The gore yes, yeah, or the, the cruelty, yes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I would put those two things together, but they they are different. They are they are different parts of the spectrum. Um, I yes. think it's, I think it's a filmmaker. I think it's Craig Zoller creating a, a spectrum of work where where you don't know when this is going to happen, and you talked about yeah. Um, um, the moments where it's not happening, and then and then it suddenly does. Like the when rhythms. he when he steps on that dude's head on the iron bars on the fire escape, and and pushes down. Uh, I had just seen Cell Block uh, uh, Brawl in Cell Block ninety nine, and so there's plenty of stomping that goes on in that, but it it only happens in certain points, and I think what. Craig Zoller might be doing, and I'm just coming up with this now, based on kind of what Kelly Wan said and what you said, is is creating a sort of surface tension of what his movies are about, in that uh, anything at any moment in these movies, there's nobody safe. We talked about this earlier when we were talking about another movie about how all the characters are safe and we don't have to worry about any of them. But nobody is safe in any of his movies. Nobody right. is safe. Right. And nobody is safe from – and we're not safe as an audience. And I kind of respect that even though it it rises my gore. It, 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 it makes me feel ill in some ways. When I watch Bone Tomahawk, uh, I almost – Threw up a couple of times, but it's done um, skillfully. It's, but, it's intentional. But, but I think what he's doing is he's creating a, a a a web of work that says 
you can't trust that I'm not going to do this to you at any time. And any of my characters can have their head stomped on, on a curb. And that's just the way the world is. And that's that's the tension that I choose to create throughout my work, not just throughout this particular movie. Um, so I, I find that actually really uh, interesting based on what the two of you just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my characters can't be talked to. Like, there can't be... Like, where you like Hellboy because of the decision? Like, this is about who punches first. But they also make decisions, too. Like, they... It's just character-defining moments, like Mel going, we're not going to call in the bank robbery. Like, those are interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Hellboy's pap, and, and I think this is this aspires to a little bit more, so of course, yeah, it's about decisions. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's, you know, that's clearly, like, I really admire how much work they put into the writing and the, and the actors in terms of making this, uh, of showing how conflicted Vince Vaughn is about this. Uh, and yeah. he's not just going along with it because it's his buddy. They're not lowering the stakes. Um, mm-hmm. When they drive past the bank and you see that Fred Malibin has indeed been castrated, uh, that's just a chilling moment. And yeah. the the movie honors how how stark and horrible that is. Yeah. yeah. So this is there's none of the yeah. So of course it's about characters making d- decisions. And and I find the just as as a as a written piece of work, it's beyond reproach. I mean, I, I think it's a it's an incredible piece of work. But I just question why do you want to make me feel this bad i guess uh well it's fiction i mean well i think it's to create i think it's to create tension for the next movie he's going to make well i honestly think he's setting you up for the next thing he's going to make perhaps but i I think i would like to think that these characters like i would like to think that you could watch drag across concrete and not know his other movies and appreciate it and like i I don't think he's doing like a marvel universe type thing um because that's also – I think there's a huge difference between – Bone Tomahawk, uh, as stark as, as it is – I mean Bone Tomahawk makes itself known early on as a horror movie, and then it becomes a fun Western adventure until it's not. Uh, yeah. Bone Tomahawk is clearly a, a historical adventure movie, and it's sold that way, and it plays that way. It unfolds that way. Uh, you know, uh, Brawl and Cellbrook 99, I think that's just a typical, ah, eh, prison sucks kind of thing. Uh, uh. This like, though, I don't think this. It. I don't think this has the convenient excuse of being an adventure. Um, no, but it's still good. But, but I'm not it, saying it's not good. I'm saying the, the opposite, right? Like, I, I just so. Line, yeah. Well, so the, so the thing I wrote about in my in a short review I wrote is that uh, I really do wonder: is it, is it good for you? How is it edifying for me to watch this movie? And I kind of think oh. it's not. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I watch plenty of crappy movies, but none of them are this well done. None of them affect me this this strongly. Uh, so That's I, the edification. I, I gen- how is that edifying? I genuinely wonder, would I be more healthy if I hadn't been subjected to this movie's cruelty? Now, I, I admire, like I said, I admire this movie, and as a guy who loves movies, I'm super glad I saw it. But just as an experience, I don't think I'd recommend this to many people. Really? Yeah. Unless you I wanted to, I, like, unless it was someone like you, Kelly Wand, who I knew would appreciate, you know, the filmmaking and who doesn't, who who revels in things being this dark and having this little redemption, sure. Yeah. Well, but I just I think love... this movie is a difficult experience, I, I guess is what I'm trying sure, to say. Sure, But I like that. I mean, that's where I'm, my head's at now. Mm-hmm. So to me, like, the word edifying means something different to me than it does to you, probably. Like, I get more out of, like, the line where he goes, don't pop the liver, it'll, it'll stink terrible. 
especially if it's a black guy. Like, I love what that reveals about that character and just, like, it's, like, the casual cruelty of that line and, like, the skill. Like, it reminded me of, um, in Michael Clayton, like, We Good. It's, like, that kind of, like, professionalism. So that line is, it's an example of, I think, how talented a writer uh, Craig Zoller yeah. is. Because that line raises so many questions that it doesn't answer. It leaves you to ponder them. Yeah. Why does that guy know what it smells like to puncture right. a liver? And, right. and if he, like, was he in medical school? If he was in medical school, why isn't he cutting open uh, Tori Kittle's friend? Like, like there are just so many things. Yeah. weird things raised with that line that he just puts there and he trusts you to sort of chew on it like a piece of gristle and whatever effect it has on you it's going to have on you and uh yeah. it's just, it, it and it, it also is it's it's incredibly racist too yeah, uh, I know. but look a black guy wins the movie so it's obvious that i'm not saying the movie's racist by the way because i think another criticism no. leveled at this movie i've been told is that it um uh, it, it it criticizes monitoring police brutality. Like that's critical of really? the fact. I, I don't I don't agree with this, but that's something that I think has been said of this movie. And I think it just gets to the fact that I don't think this movie is clear about what it is saying, if anything. And I'm not necessarily objecting to that because uh, there's room for movies like that. Uh, yeah. But I think this movie is not defending uh, police who don't want. Who don't want to be seen. It's certainly not condoning racism in police departments, but I think that this movie is is gray enough that I'm not surprised people walk away from it thinking that. Well, we live in hysterical times where everyone as- ascribes like a value system, like oh, well then this means that, and I mean it could just be the mythos that he that suits this story best. Well, the like conversation, the Dirty Harry movie. right? The conver- like I don't agree with Dirty Harry's politics, but those movies are self-contained, like they work. <laughs> on what they are. What were we going to say? The commentary? Well, no, the conversation between Don Johnson and uh, Mel Gibson, and even while Vince Vaughn is still there, like, what what does that say? Can you find in that a perspective on uh, police brutality? Um, well, one that's one that works for the movie, or one that I need to apply to real life? Because I don't what, really... Can you tell, can, is, is Craig Zoller expressing an opinion about police brutality in that scene? Um... It could be the character. That's the thing. I mean, he. I don't know. Put it this way: it's the thing where I usually read articles and tell you, "Yeah, this <laughs> totally ruined it for me." And I wish I hadn't read that. But I haven't read anything about it, so I'm, I only have the movie to go by. Right. And maybe Biggest, that's the smart way to do it. Would you have? A, would you have an answer for that? Because I don't know the answer. I wouldn't care, to be honest. Like it just um, suits the plot point. <laughs> I assume. Um, but I Mel's assume it's right. an author writing characters. I don't necessarily ascribe a political opinion to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we have a, a writer named Brian Becker who says uh, that he's seen some arguments online which suggest that suggests the movie isn't actually conservative. He he disagrees. He thinks the final message is that Med, Mel Gibson dies while while Tony Gibbles, Gibbles lives. His name Gibbles uh, because Henry he has put more. <laughs> on Gibson as a white male with a professional job and a family. You cannot let a video of him leak in this because day of age. what it could do to him. Um, he's outlived the era when you could do, when it was, those skills were more useful. So wait, Brian, I, I, Brian, I, is, I, Brian is saying that it is conservative. I, he, he is, he says that he disagrees that uh, with, with, uh, with the arguments that say the movie isn't actually conservative. So he can't let another video of him leak because of what it could do to him, whereas a black ex-convict uh, 
there's nothing he has to worry about. And so it's perfectly acceptable for him to kill someone over his cell phone. And the fact that Brian can like that, that's Brian's takeaway. I just I think says a lot about the movie. I mean, it says a little bit about Brian, too, but I, I think that you can it, – it's kind of like when, when conservatives are talking about Dark Knight as being uh, – as supporting uh, surveillance of criminal. Like, I find that absurd and ridiculous. Right. Um, as you should. As you should. And I think there's some of that here because I don't, I don't think Dark Knight really has a political point. Dark Knight is a morality fable. Uh, I think that's the same thing here is that Craig Zoller opts out of a political point. He opts out of a moral point. Sure. He opts you- out of – uh, when you yeah. say opts out, are you saying he's wimping out of it? I'm saying he doesn't care. Or he doesn't care. Yeah, he doesn't care. Like he, he's, 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 he's created, just, he's created okay. an incredibly yeah. affecting experience, and he's not telling me how he feels about these topics, <laughs> which that's is okay. I mean, move. that's that's a legal move. It's a totally legal move, absolutely. But again, I just am like, well, yeah, fair enough. He probably enjoys the fact that you feel that way. <laughs> Well, I'm obsessing on my belief system. Uh-huh. I just think that the that the fact that you use the word edify is instructive, um, because because uh, in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, in First Corinthians, I believe, um, there's a verse that says, you know, there are certain things that are lawful, but not all is edifying. You know, there are things that we can do that are that are uh, within the law but not that will build us up um and Mm. you're you're talking about watching this movie is not being an edifying experience but being something that exalting you nevertheless can appreciate i i love this movie i mean i i I make no bones about saying i love this movie i just question normally when okay well because it's social value at first you just said you admire it but now you're saying you love it Okay, good. Well, I mean, they're, they're pretty much partner. Like any movie that's this well made, I, I really admire. I don't enjoy watching it. Like, it, it's, it, it's a. That's fine. United a, 93. I, again, right. United 93 is a very good, but I, I think there's a point. Uh, okay. United 93 is a very much a communal processing of what happened in 9 11. Sure. I think Paul I Greengrass was giving yet. voice to national consciousness in, in, the, the, in United 93. Like, I'm very clear about why. I felt that way and why Paul Greengrass wanted me to feel that way. We were sitting together. I, I felt like we were sitting in a dark room reliving and sharing this, this feeling and this trauma. Right. Uh, I don't get that feeling here. I feel like Craig Zoller just it revels in me feeling awful about uh, Jennifer he Carpenter's does. character. Yeah. Well, well so when you, when you uh, – do you think something that is cathartic mm-hmm. can be edifying? Sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right, cause I mean, that's used... that's the classical definition, too, of catharsis, is that something is so well made, uh, and, and yeah, something that's catharsis, cathartic can absolutely be edifying. All right, okay. And maybe edifying is just a wrong word, and maybe, really, the problem is this movie is just so well made that I want it to tell me something. I want to get some point or message from it, and the point that I'm getting from it is pretty much the same point that Gaspar Noe made in Irreversible, uh, more than the point about how do you feel about your family versus the rest of wo- the world, which is the point that was made in It Comes at Night. Uh, I just don't want to lump this in with Irreversible. It is too good. Oh. It's too well made. Uh, and I'm afraid that that's where it comes down. Uh, like I find it – the only reason it's not deeply it's nihilistic – the only reason it's not a deeply nihilistic movie is because of how Tori Kittle's character, Henry, comes through it all. Um, mm-hmm. 
But otherwise, because I don't feel – another thing, I don't feel that Mel Gibson's character and specifically the conversation in the police office, I don't feel that Mel Gibson's character is supposed to represent police brutality. Like the the, he's certainly not playing by the book and he's being a total dick to the naked woman making her stand under the fan. And when he crushes the guy's head, you know, he's not beating Rodney King. He's not shooting a young black man who's unarmed. Right. This is not a, a statement about police brutality. Like Mel Gibson's character has a point. He uh, has self-defense on his side in the Vince Vaughn thing too. But but do you think Don Johnson is Don Johnson's character is wrong in saying no? Don worse oh, over the years. Sorry, no, I don't. Don Johnson's character has many points. I think too about how it's all politics, it's all bullshit. But right. also, and this is also this is where my review kind of ended up when he says to Mel Gibson, "Look, you've been scuffing across concrete for so long. You are right, but you're losing compassion, and you're just going to be a steamroller fueled by bile. And that's kind of how I feel about this movie. (laughs) Very very well put. It is incredibly effective, but it is not compassionate towards its audience, and it does feel like a spiked steamroller fueled by bile has just rolled over me. Um, Yeah. So So what about like a Cormac McCarthy kind of vibe? So have you read – do you know – do you know Outer Dark? Yeah. yeah, I think it's his first one because this reminded me a lot of Outer yeah. Dark. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really, really good comparison. Because because Outer Dark is their their brother and sister, so it's not quite. But Outer Dark has the two plot lines, and there are these three unbelievably brutal characters right. who are circling the plot, who Remember. slowly move in towards these two characters, and that's mm-hmm. the tension in Outer Dark that I think is very similar structurally here. Is yeah. you're watching this movie about Tori Kittle's character and about Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson's characters, and then every now and then, this, these weird, wigged out, brutally cruel thieves show up, and they start tying all these threads together, and these yeah. guys are like a primeval force of of cruelty. Um, mm-hmm. So like it reminded Mac me a lot too. of Cormac McCarthy, and but Cormac McCarthy is, I mean, that guy's just sheer poetry. Uh, right. So I have no problem reading a Cormac McCarthy. Like I have no problem with how awful the road made me feel because the road is a love story. The road yeah. is about the depth of love that a father feels for his child, uh, and so all of the painful emotional contortions you go through reading that book, there to make a point. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But Outer Dark does or doesn't. But watching the movie doesn't. Watching the movie, the road doesn't do that for me. Oh well, the, no, the movie's not very good. Yeah. Right, right. Fan fiction. Um, fan fiction. Uh, Outer Dark Kelly Wan kind of has a feel of like a, a, a myth or a, a fable. Like there, there's a there, it's it's like early Cormac McCarthy and uh, yeah yeah. But anyway, I love Outer Dark and this just reminded me of that. What's the other yeah. one you you introduced me to? Child or- of God, not the Orchard. Orchard Keeper. Child of yeah. God. Orchard yeah. Keeper. Thank you. Yeah. Orchard Keeper. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, also, what, yeah, what cool this movie made me think of, and this is going to sound totally weird to the two of you, is that it. It feels like an alternate dimension, shifted time version of Purvis and Buddy. That would be David Arquette and Sid Haig from the beginning of uh, of <laughs> of Bone Tomahawk. And not As Richard it, Jenkins and Kurt Russell. <laughs> no, not at all. It anchovies. It reminds them me to... of of them being like advanced in time and shifted through a dimension. Because of the way that Bone Tomahawk begins, yeah, Buddy and uh, and Purvis. It's a totally weird thing to say. I understand that. 
Well, Craig Zoller has a way of doing, and he he gets away with it a lot more easily in Bone Tomahawk because it's a it's a distant it's a historical setting that we don't understand firsthand. But he's right. definitely got stylized dialogue uh, that yeah. uh, our friend Tony Carnavale maintains that it's in here throughout. But I I kind of disagree. There there are touches of stylized dialogue. Uh, but throughout Bone Tomahawk, it's like that. Here, I think there's plenty of naturalistic speaking. Um, but but yeah, the the writing of I mean Craig Zoller's writing is is vivid and distinct. Like for instance, what do you make of when they're pulling in towards that lot in front of the the gas station where the, the movie is going to end? Uh, characters remarking on possum refrigerator dead rat. First, it's uh, I think it's. Tori Kittles when they're coming in, and then Vince Vaughn says the same thing. Right. What is that? And I don't I think, know. I think other that's than... just him being cute. Uh, the director? Okay, I mean, I, I, I don't I, yeah. like cute sounds dismissive, but I don't know what it is. But I, I think it's 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 a it's a lovely bit of craft. Like the fact that the characters are just saying out loud, like it's almost like beat poetry that he's put in his dialogue, and I find that really brave. Um, like, I love that. I don't know what it means, uh, but I just think it's an example of how distinct Craig Zoller is as a writer. You know, to have a I, character say it's a swear I, word, anchovies. What? <laughs> and yeah, I, 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 think that, I, I think that that's just sort of his mantra kind of a thing. I mean, I love – I I would sort of lean more toward what Tony is saying is, you know, like, I need to acclimate. And and the and the way they talk about how smart people are and how smart people aren't and how they're hiding their smartness and right. and and what they say about the the way they talk about police work in this movie um, really knocks me out. I mean, Leaky like uh, there's also the, that line, um, uh, "The blood is gratis." I mean, that's not yeah, something that's you good. say. And when the when they're following him, he says, "Don't give him a wedgie." I mean, there's there's these little moments that you feel like I'm I'm getting a, a a window into some other person's language that I don't know uh, that I really 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 like. And I think the reason though, Dingus, is that uh, well, my what I would point out is that none of the ancillary characters talk that way. You know, Jennifer Carpenter's character uh, didn't like. It's only right. the the main characters, like uh, Henry's mom, doesn't talk that way. Uh, even uh, David Jai White, what's the actor? Like, I was surprised I to discover that character's name is Biscuit because I don't think they ever call him Biscuit. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, there's only certain I characters. It was muscles and I thought it was muscles. And well, that's sword. what that's what Vogelman. That's the name that Vogelman gives them, refers to them. Uh, but their names are actually Henry and uh, Biscuit is Biscuit. is right. is uh, um, the professionals, and that's why they both say possum freezer dead rat it's just like like to remark like to remind yourself where you're coming in or yeah oh that's what i wondered is it because i when they're setting that up i thought it was going to be some payoff where only vince vaughn knows how to get get away down the road or something but there wasn't i really do think it's just him kind of doing like beat poetry dialogue uh maybe i saw it as some kind of connection like if you have certain kinds of eyes, like a predator's eyes, like you see, you notice certain oh, sure. devices. Okay, no, that works for me. Sure, yeah. And so they're connected in that, like. But it's not Mel Gibson that does it. And... It's not Mel Gibson that does it, though. It's Vince, it... but Vince is the right. sniper. Yeah. Okay, sure. No, good enough. Yeah. Yeah, He's and he doesn't. Perfect. He doesn't want to return there, but he can't help it. That's a really good uh, way of putting it. The predator's and, eyes thing, Kelly. That's really and good. And also that it's. You can tell that it's marking an entrance because it's it looks staged to him, and like the first guy saying it because they're they 
like that's how they recognize the way in. And Vince Vaughn saying because he's like these three things are placed in such a way that it was delivered. Oh, like that's how they know. Well, I I mean I this would agree like with it. that. I would agree with that, except I don't that's think that's a bit that, of a reach. Oh, yeah, because I don't think they know where they're going. I think it's a uh, Vogelman in the back of the van telling them where to go. Like I don't, uh, yeah, but, but I do I like that more idea. than just beat poetry. Like I wanted some kind of character or reason, like why they would say that. Like that means something, not right. just it's cool. Right. Um, so well, there are a lot of I things that with. there are a lot yeah, of things. I really love the who are you signaling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just habit. I, mean, I, love, love. I love that character, uh, Black Gloves. I thought was a great. Uh, oh my gosh, they're just Very yeah, and, and just the act, just the the deadpan voice and stuff. Those guys were both terrifying. Yeah, and Jennifer Garner's just set up as a foil. He scores off of, but the and, but the way the way they he does the liquor store thing. It's like Jennifer Carpenter. It's not Jennifer Garner. I said Carpenter, or I meant to. All right. Not that dumb. I used to think that was John Carpenter's daughter, so I am dumb. But <laughs> the point is. Uh, she's really good in that tiny. It's sad. That that is it also is super great. sad. Luke Lucas says okay. the first time I watched Drag Across, Across Concrete. See, I was so See? bothered by how Jennifer Carpenter's scenes had no bearing whatsoever on the story. The second time I watched it, I came to the realization that flavor scenes that do nothing to advance the plot are my favorite parts of S. Craig Zoller's films. Um. I don't know that it advances the plot, but it's like she's the third uh, parent of the hypotenuse of parent characters in the movie, and she gets nothing for her. Like, she gets completely screwed. Like, she doesn't even know she's in a horror movie, kind of screwed. But we but, all know she's going to get killed. I mean, there's no... Well, I think guess I don't. I don't... Why, you just said you don't know who's going to get... Like, I had no idea. She, I thought this was going to be... When her husband says, you're going to the bank, and they're on a heist, it's clear she's going to get killed. I mean, maybe to you, but to me, I thought a this hostage. was going to be a drawn-out hostage movie where, yeah, she might die, but only after a long, protracted, you know, where She's we learn more about I her recognize. character. Uh, right. Yeah, because of her part, too, in, like, a Brawl in Cell Block 99, you think, oh, yeah, she's going to be a, oh, a major character through this. So you might know she's going to get killed, but you don't know that's going to happen. Like, yeah. th well, that's clearly that? a super manipulative thing it's for him great. to do. It's, yeah, it's, it, really. What it is, it's, a, it's the best, it's the most vivid example of the extremes that this movie goes to right. to, uh, to pit poignance against brutality. Because that scene at the door, by the way, I think is the strongest bit of writing in this movie for a few reasons. Mainly because by the time the movie gets to that moment and she's standing there and she doesn't get on yeah. the bus, you think, okay, she's got something to do with this heist. Like right. you are trained right. to be suspicious. You are trained right. to look at Bulwark the way that Mel Gibson's character does. You, you realize you're looking through his eyes when she's at the door and mm -hmm. Jeffrey won't open it. You're like, what's yeah. going on back there? Yeah, when what's she, her angle? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then when you know what's what's going on, yeah. So Is the way that then this movie, the door opens? yeah, his, right. His and, wife, Mel Gibson's wife, has said that she will go back to work from Bulwark. Well, Bulwark's the name of the city. Right. No, no Bulwark city. Security. Umbrella. Right, but Bulwark's the name of the. Oh, oh, I see. Right, right. That's what she'll. Oh yeah, it didn't occur to me that right. She's going to work for a security company, right? And you see yeah. the van. And he says, by "No way." Right. Find her when she's in the bank. Ah, oh, it's good. It's good shit. Like it more, Tom. Here's so again, I think yeah. that that's what Craig Zoller is setting up. He's 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 got you on the hook. That What's what he's setting up? What? I don't know about the, the extended universe necessarily, but like for the rest of the movie, he's got you on the hook. But this, at least, for sure. For, for the idea, for me, uh, 
I felt like she could die at any moment because of what I'd seen him do otherwise. I mean, yeah. I didn't well, know. I was right. just I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> and and to be to be frank though, I, I think that that is true of any uh, like any. I think any good movie is not going to telegraph what it's going to do. Any right. good movie is is going to surprise you or defy expectation. Mm. I just think that's a fundamental part of good writing. Is like I've been watching Game of Thrones lately, and what bothers me most about Game of Thrones, and this is true of pretty much anything, it's just Game of Thrones came to mind. When a character says something, and I know what the response is going to be, yeah. that's a failure on the writer's part. And there's so many exchanges in Game of Thrones where I'm like, oh, she's going to say that, and yep, she says that. In, in a, I think in good writing, where somebody's showing me something new and somebody's expressing something, uh, in this, I had no idea. Like, nobody ever said or did anything I expected. Uh, and that's just, I yeah. think, a hallmark of, of someone who's a talented me, storyteller. Like, um, that's all I need to be edified, Tom. At this point in my life, I'm like, yes, thank you. Finally. Get me out of the <laughs> fucking grinder. Jesus. Show me I something was, good. <laughs> I was tense during this entire movie. Yeah. Uh, my I was my stomach hurt. Right. Yeah, yeah you yeah. should. Craig Zoller's light. He, he did that to you on purpose, Dingus. He wanted yeah. your stomach to hurt. Yeah, and I kind of knew that everybody was going to die at the end. <laughs> um, well, Henry didn't. Yeah, that's the thing is, why didn't Henry die, Dingus? Because he's the hero. Because he mm, won. I don't think he is, though. Like, why do you think no. he's... <laughs> no, he was... Is there, well, here, let me ask it. Is there any rationale for who dies and who doesn't die in this movie? Is there any moral cause and you effect mean, like, in... like, a racial? Or no, is there any moral cause one? and effect in this universe, uh, in the universe of... Dragged across concrete because I, I think again that's part of my issue is I, I don't think there is I don't I've think there reading... is either I think that it's just who gets the drop on who Tom have you read much Patricia Highsmith the Ripley writer just the short stories that you gave me oh okay Cause oh she's... actually you didn't give me those I think we've just talked about them but no I've read like her the short concept stories. of justice doesn't really exist in her moral universe of her character I don't either. think it exists like here that. either in Craig Zoller's universe I know and I don't need I don't because need it I Henry think it just makes it more interesting hmm. well. Well, how about this for the whole, like, who can punch harder thing? I mean, Henry just runs off faster than the other guy can run off. Uh, I mean, he runs yeah. off and he runs behind the building and he runns around and he shoots people. Uh, I mean, he, he can't reload, but that He's he doesn't really care about that. And then he climbs up on the scaffolding and videotapes something. And then he shoots a guy's gun out of his hand. So he's uh, a good shot. Yeah. So I I don't I don't I, I think it's just a matter of chance really right which I, I agree with like yeah yeah so one one of the things that I do wonder is uh is there a point being made if Mel Gibson's character had trusted Henry does Mel Gibson die because he doesn't trust Henry yeah and I, I think, think yes should have because because he should have seen that Henry would have been screwed too. If he'd exposed Well, no, because yeah. Henry takes a gun out as well. Right, but Mel instigates. Right. Yeah, but he's prepared to do the same thing. He's but he doesn't do it, leader. though. The thing, is, the thing is, Dingus, I think in this universe, if Mel Gibson hadn't pulled the gun on Henry to demand the video, if he had taken Henry at his word, Mel Gibson would be alive. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think so, too. And he and Henry tells him that. He's all, dude, you fucking idiot. Now, like, because... It's right, like right, exactly, and, and I love. He says, "I've never killed somebody before." Yeah. Yeah, and I love that. I love that reveal too, is because I, I don't. 
like so I don't. Henry we, has integrity and right, exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't know that it's that Mel Gibson doesn't have integrity so much that he has as Den, Don Johnson, as Don Johnson says earlier, he's scuffed across concrete for so long that he's lost compassion and he's lost perspective. Lost compassion. That's a compassion. Really compassion and perspective, I think, are the two things that he doesn't have, so that he doesn't understand that Henry oh, can be honorable, right. that Henry can be telling him the truth. Right. Uh, and in that way, I think it's kind of a tragedy, you know, where the, the character has a tragic flaw. Like that's the flaw to Mel Gibson's character that ends up getting him killed is that he has seen Bulwark. You know, it is it is affected how he looks at people and things that it gets him killed. He's um, also a bit racist because the black guys are bothering his daughter. Now, that's the thing, too. Is like I, I, I love the frankness we have to live of, in this neighborhood. It's I love that they're not bothering her. They're threatening her. Sure. Okay, yeah. What did you get to say, Tom? Well, I just love how frank the discussion is between Laurie Holden and Mel Gibson when she says, yeah. I never thought I was a racist until I lived here. I mean, that's yeah. a really – that's a very yeah. self-aware, kind of sad thing for a character to have to say. Yeah. And it's kind of bold because now the audience is like, oh, she's a racist. We, she's not a good guy. Um, but I just – that again just gets to, I think, how strong a writer he is. Right. Uh, and yeah, yeah, he says, I'm the saying. most progressive cop I've ever right, I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we've also seen the daughter get harassed. Like, we know it, it's not just Lori, in Laurie Holden's head, but in, in the universe of the movie, it's a lame neighborhood for the daughter. Like, she's like, oh, Jesus. But it could have just as easily been white guys. I don't know. Uh, is it manipulative that uh, Laurie Holden has MS and that Henry's little brother, Ethan, is in a wheelchair? Um, no, I think it's a balance, actually. I really I actually appreciate that because as they're lying there talking to each other and trying to make a deal they have a there is a sense of connection there and Mel Gibson could have made a connection uh Henry did yeah it was one and, way and That's even the tragedy. said afterward you were telling the truth about that weren't you yeah what do you think Tom Oh no, I think I mean I I agree with you. It's definitely a balance, and there's a lot of that sort of counterbalance stuff, like the the, the him watching <laughs> watching the quote program about the lion cubs, whatever cute thing yeah. that's supposed to be, and the the yeah. shotgun safari game and the song. Like I think all the all of it is very intentional, <laughs> but I don't I I do think it's and not necessarily in a bad way. I think it's incredibly manipulative, uh, is to create mm. these these situations with this kind of pathos and then subject these characters to. This brutality. Uh, I think it's manipulative well, to have well, Jennifer. I don't think that's a pejorative thing to say, though. No, no, not at all. I mean, that's 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 what I think a good drama does is it manipulates your emotions and how you okay. feel and your sympathies. You know, it's incredibly manipulative to put in that Jennifer Carpenter scene. You could cut yeah. it from the movie and like like I think was said earlier, it wouldn't change the plot. Like she has no effect on the plot whatsoever. It could be cut from the movie, but it's an important thing. It's how it's how Craig Zoller is manipulating us. And yeah. I think it's kind of cruel, and I, I admire how effective it is. But it also, but, like, it's a casualty of Mel's decisions and, like, them not calling it in. But also, too, those, like, decoy tropes and, like, low-hanging fruit, like, ah, they both have a crippled family member. Right. Like, that tricks you into going, oh, this is a schmaltzy movie. Right. It's got crippled kids in it. <laughs> Jennifer Carpenter's going to be fine because there's everyone – everyone has kids, yada, yada. What? So he takes he. You're not sure how schmaltzy and sentimental he's going to get. It's just from more ingredients thrown. A in practical before. standpoint, Jennifer Carpenter's really good. Yeah, yeah. She's really yeah. good at that that weird trembly fragility kind of a thing. Yeah. Distraught. Veronica Cartwright. 
she's really good at that. Yeah. Um, so Brian Becker did want to know, Tom, what you thought of the video, the the Safari video game. <laughs> well, I again, I, I think it's it's an incredibly poignant moment when uh, Henry's okay. sitting with Ethan, and Ethan says, uh, "This is what I want to do." And Henry's like, "Play video games." He's like, "No, I want to make video games." And he has a line where he talks about wanting to create worlds that are different from the outside. I mean, that's yeah. just a really beautiful, poignant, sad moment. Uh, yeah. And most most times in movies where you see video games, even Destroyer, that little video game moment in Destroyer yeah, that Kelly right. Wand referred to is pretty dopey. But this the video game moment that Craig Zoller puts here, uh, there's just a lot of insight and poignance to it. Um, and is... unfortunately, we cut to that horror, like the graphic. Oh, my God, who's playing games with those oh, yeah, graphics yeah, yeah. these days? Yeah, that's, <laughs> what I was, that's that was my question as, as I watched it. The, the You know, there's the second video game that we see him playing that he's finished. Space one. He, where he's like, uh, is this a good game? And Ethan turns and and it's like game finished. It's like, well, it's paused. They paused oh. it because I did notice that there was a, the, and it even had like press RQ button to unpause. I was like, what kind of controller? Because yeah. I, I think what's going yeah. on here too, partly with these video games, Dingus, and I, I just again, I just deeply admire this, and this probably gets to your point about him creating like an extended universe is. It, it, this is not our world. This is a fictional city. It's a fictional yeah. state. All oh, of those songs, like he made all of those kind of Motowny songs. Those are all fake songs that Craig Zoller wrote. Uh, oh, they, there's oh nothing... really? I didn't know that because yeah. they all sound. I mean, they sound like some of the songs that were they played definitely in do. Cell Block. Yep. Oh. And they they have that sort of black exploitation kind of feel to them. And and they, they even listen to the lyrics like Shotgun Safari or Feline on a uh, what is that? I think Feline on a corner <laughs> street corner Felines is the street name of one of them. Felines, uh, yeah. Don't don't go to the drive-in or something like yeah. They all have that and they're they're just part of this world building that he's doing with the video game, with the songs, uh, with the name of the city. You know, and the, that is a metaphor. Uh, there's a license plate shown it a couple of times. And I had to pause and go, oh, did he get busted? What is that? And it says Grand Harvest State. And I was like, where did they film this? So I had to Google Grand Harvest State. There's no such state motto. He made up state motto license oh. plates for the few times you got a glimpse. Like he knew someone like me yeah. was going to pause and look up what state did he shoot in. Uh, like everything is fictional in this. Uh, and I Alexander love that about Payne it. Alexander wrote the newspaper article in Election that's like shows like a newspaper article. Pretty like clever. But the thing uh, about the video game, I really want to mm-hmm. – I love the shot and the dialogue where they're playing it at the beginning and the son – kind of school it's his little brother by the way yeah he's not it is his little brother yeah all right whatever nerd um (laughs) (laughs) that's not a nerd thing whatever genetics nerds anyway um yeah so but no like okay the brother can i just call him the son for the length of my analogy his name is yeah okay go ahead okay so the son the crippled son his crippled son that he has to help that he fathered with his mother um (laughs) they're playing the game and like the dad uh, I think he is like he saves the dad from the lion by shooting from far away or something. He does some kind of cool oh, he maneuver. A, he has a double pump extra shotgun. Right, and the but the dad looks at him like with a new respect, like, "Hey, that's pretty clever." Like, and he's like a real gun guy for real. So like, it's it's kind of like a cute bonding moment because he's like, "Hey, my son actually gets firearms and lions really well. I should, 
I should coach him through video game school. All right, later. can we now can we now get back to claim his little brother, Ethan? <laughs> Which one's younger? <laughs> well, the idea. Uh, so I don't I don't know if you guys caught this, but so do you know you know why Ethan was in prison? Duffel bags. You mean Henry? Sorry, Henry, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, Ethan didn't have to go to prison. Right, Ethan was not That's in prison. Ethan Allen, Tom. Uh, so, so Henry was in prison for uh, beating up the guy who put Ethan in a wheelchair. Right. Oh. Wait, so, how do you know that? Uh, he, he said he, he never killed anybody, and that's why he went to prison. Yeah, he, he, he lists his uh, peccadilloes, and they include, I think, dealing drugs and putting his the guy who put his brother in a wheelchair in, in intensive care. Like those are and the, his son. <laughs> he doesn't have kids yet. He's going to. I mean, he's going to be. Uh, he's going to have a, a a long, successful life, uh, and he's going to prosper and uh, give his mother a great home and uh, his little brother. A, a that would have been funny games. if the masseuse at the end was the guy he kicked out at the beginning. That would have been hilarious, cute. Kelly Wan. Hey, I can't. I can't imagine why they it? didn't do that. They should have done that. What did you guys think of the comedic touches? I loved them. Usually, although I I thought I didn't like anchovies because I thought it was too. He said it to too many different kinds of situations, and he said it too much. Like if I was a partner for someone a long time, and that was their catchphrase, I'd I'd request a transfer. <laughs> well, I think they, I think that um, police partners have a fraught relationship in that regard because he eats Sopracetto's sandwiches that have. That are very strong smelling, and he eats them for a long amount of time, like 90 minutes, I think is what he said. Uh, and he might have just been. And he was eating it fast when we saw, so that's impressive in a way. Well, he, it, well, you know, it, Luke S. actually he ate a says, third of it in two seconds. Luke S. actually says he wouldn't be surprised if that scene with Vince Vaughn eating that sandwich in the car ends up being his favorite single moment of 2019. So uh, uh, I love scenes where characters eat movies for some reason. I think it's hysterical. I don't but, know he, but he just took his time with it, and I really appreciated that idea of that. He looked at him the same way Peter Falk looked at Vince Vaughn in Made. Like, oh, this fucking guy. He just looked miserable. Mel Gibson's face. Mel Gibson wasn't even looking at him. He was just staring out the windshield most of the time. Well, he was smelling it, and they were get, giving each other mints back and forth. At, you know, I mean, the right, time. right. I mean, no, they had, lots of no dialogue. Like they're they're time. basically job spouses. I mean, I mean, and all the Zoller <laughs> movies are long like that. I really like that. Like he spends his length on stuff like that. I think it's cool. It's long and slow in a way too. Yeah. I, I don't know about slow, but certainly pensive. It's a very pensive movie. There's a yeah. there's a lot of pauses, like pregnant yeah. pauses, and even barren pauses. There's, there's a lot of it just really too. does take his time, yeah. and I I love that about it. I I love I, that the movie's yeah. two hours and forty five minutes. I, I love am. that about it. Yeah, right. I'm totally with you on that, and that's one of the notes I wrote is that I like that that Craig Zoller takes a little, uh, just a little more time with scenes than than other filmmakers take. Uh, filmmakers tend to truncate scenes so that the script moves quickly and the right. movie runs quickly and we cat. get, and we get to 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, but he doesn't, he, he takes and you're, and you sit there wondering why are we still sitting here? Why are they and still in bed together? And then, and then, like... then he asks, uh, if you don't mind, can I look it? It's been a long intermission. Um, and and then there's there every there are scenes where he does that, 
he he creates a rhythm where there are scenes that happen with quickness and then there are scenes mm-hmm. where you feel like we're taking a long time here with silence and i really really love that about that and your point tom is absolutely spot on that the length <laughs> of this movie is is perfect and the 90 minute thing has conditioned our brains so we're disoriented when something like this right hits it like what yeah. wait by this point, what you still right? Exactly. Like the movie's over in ten minutes. What can happen? Yeah. Yeah. And then still another hour. Yeah. And then when yeah, it yeah. happens, it happens blisteringly fast. Like what? She's dead. Whoa. Shit. I thought it was gonna be another sandwich scene. All right. <laughs> uh, what about the the score? What did you guys think of the music for the movie? Well, did the he soundtrack it bother you? Think about it. Um, I don't really notice music. Uh, so I guess it was good. I don't know. One of the reasons you didn't notice the music, Kelly Wan, is there isn't a lick of it in this movie that isn't music that's being played by characters. There is no score. There is no sound. I mean, there's soundtrack. There's the songs that they wrote. But the the music never tells you how to feel. There's no, is there is I, none. I, there's no I, music in this, which I love about this. Like, I, he didn't get no. someone in to score it. That's, that's to me, an, an amazing thing. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. I mean, the OJs play a song, I think. Um, well, right, but they're always played when a character's listening to music. It's diegetic. What's the word for that? It, it's always music. Diegetic? I think so. It's always music where, where a character's be- playing it, listening to it in the car. It's playing in the room next door. Uh, there's never, like, there, there's no soundtrack here that ever plays. Nothing. No violin ever trills. There's no horn or anything. There's nothing it's, except it's what Jackie characters Brown, listen to. Sharky's machine kind of music. Yeah, yeah that... that- the one of my favorite moments in this movie, and I'm glad you brought this up, Tom, is the cut back and forth between the SUV and his yep. crappy little car yep. when he's being towed, and you're hearing them the same. They're them listening to the same song, but it's it's played at different um, quality levels. Volumes. Yeah, uh, I really love that. I love that so much. Because uh, it's a filmmaker really understanding how to transition us uh, with music in a proper way rather than telling us how to feel. Right, exactly. Uh, some of the the yeah. writing that I wondered about, do you guys know, so they're they're in the car, they're doing the stakeout. By the way, why don't cops get noticed more often when they're doing stakeouts? Like if I was walking past a car and there were just two dudes sitting in it? I'd be like, what? I, like that would look suspicious to me. Why don't cops on steakhouse get busted more often? Even Jeff Bridges noticed. In what does that big orange thing? Mean? Yeah, exactly. That That's they're... what I was going to ask you about that line. Is yeah. I'm going to get something from that big orange thing? Like that, Craig Zoller yeah. can't have written that. He can't have known they were going to be shooting in front of a big orange wall, or did he? Uh, like, did he write that and then they they had the set designers paint the wall? Did he do that impromptu? Was that a Vince that Vaughn like a thing? Man line. That sort of – that and the music thing lends credence to Dingus's shared universe thing. Like the big orange thing from – Well, no, that's not the name of something. He's just pointing at the wall that they're parked in front of. They're, they're oh, parked by a store. Restaurant. No, no. He's, he, they're driving up to it and said, another big orange thing opened up near me. What? Right. Oh. See? That that's makes so more sense because they are – I just thought that they happened to be in front of <laughs> – I thought Vince Vaughn no. was talking about whatever was on the other side of that orange wall. No, it's like <laughs> it's like a Whole Foods or something. I don't know what it is, oh. but he says another big orange thing. Open. Do you see it's a sign for it? Nope. Oh, I'm sad now. I want to see a sign for it. That's awesome. Let's see. 
and the, I love the references to pumpernickel because that's one of my favorite breads. Pumpernickel yeah. toast, yeah, they get it from Jeanette's, the bakery across the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Egg salad on pumpernickel too, like that, and it's crunching. It's not supposed to be crunchy, is it? Unless you toast, you toast pumpernickel because it's already black, isn't it? Uh, I think but Don that Johnson says he likes their pumpernickel toast. You can toast you black can bread. Listen to Dingus. Listen to his tone. I respect that. <laughs> he knows his breads. I love pumpernickel, but it's hard to come by. By the way, like five times in the past three days, I've looked at the clock and it said 11-11. Not related. Just throwing that out there. I never forget. I'm uh, keeping hungry like the wolf. Too. So, Dingus, what did you like about you? Li- I, I probably I need to go back and see it again. Uh, but what did you like about Cell Block 99? Brawl no, wait, Cell no Block spoilers, 99. Because I really want to oh. watch it now, Dingus. So. I'm not going to give you any spoilers. Uh, I just like the way the movie is structured. I like the way it's paced. It's paced differently than this movie. Is it the least um, favorite of your your least favorite? This three movies. Well, I think it's nowhere. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I think know it's, it's Tom, and not it's necessarily not, it's not even close. for not liking it. It's just that Bone Tomahawk and this are so good. Yeah. It's just that I liked it. I was surprised it, that I liked it as much as I did because because Tom I think was pretty dismissive of it. Yeah, he hated it. Um, I like, Don't see it. But uh, not to see it, but, but there is seriously. there is sort of a, a, a tedious prison kind of feel to it, um, and Vince Vaughn is doing a weird accent that doesn't really work uh, at all. Why um, is he doing what he does? He make it sound better. The more, <laughs> yeah. Better. All right. Um, uh, like a rock biography. But uh, but there's a lot about it that I think will work for you. Um, uh, I usually don't like Vince Vaughn when he's tough, like a tough guy, like True Detective. I like him when he's a big idiot, usually. But he's good in this. Will you, sell, will you sell for both? Really? All right. <laughs> uh, I think it's his fourth – wait, it's his – so Craig Zoller has also written a couple of movies that I've uh, – one of which I made the mistake of watching, the other of which I think you should see, Kelly Wand. Uh, yeah. he, he wrote a, a, a weird – I think it was like shot in Belgium or something, and it's supposed to be set – in the Northwest, and it's really funny. They they cast actors who are obviously local, and they're trying to do American accents, and it's really terrible. But it's definitely a Craig anything, Zoller Tom. anything, right? So it's, it's that kind of thing. Uh, but it's definitely a Craig Zoller script. Uh, you should see a movie called Asylum Blackout. He didn't direct oh. it, but it's something he wrote. Uh, that's his third best movie. Like I would rank them: Bone Tomahawk, Dragged Across Concrete, Brawl and Cell, or yeah, Brawl and Cell Block Ninety Nine. Then Asylum Blackout, the worst Craig <laughs> Zoller movie, the fifth yeah. one. He wrote, believe it or not, and I did watch this because I was like, well, Craig Zoller wrote it. It's right. got to be good, and it's not. He's two for five. He wrote, and this is directed by the guy that, that uh, I think he's a, a Finn, a Norwegian, uh, the, the guy who did Tommy Wakola who did the Dead Snow movies. The movie Puppet <laughs> Master, colon, The Littlest Reich, starring Thomas <laughs> Lennon. Wow. It's a Craig Zoller script, and it is terrible. And it's not Yoga Hosers. It's a totally different concept. It's I, I just think it's those Puppet Master movies are just so dumb, and it's just another one of those, and you would never know that it was a Craig Zoller script. So, so Cell Block, uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99, way, way better than Puppet Master. So I'll give Puppets Craig Zoller that. Puppets are scary, that. but if someone's controlling the puppet, the Puppet Master's not scary. He's just I has also... his hand distracted he's even less effective i also don't quite know what is happening in cell block oh i thought it, you were going to say puppet master it, no in brawl yeah, and I, I don't quite know if i grasp 
what's going on there. The thing is, the title tells you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a brawl. Yeah, yeah I understand a there's brawl. a brawl going on. It tells you uh, where it's happening. But I, I just, the entrance, the I just think is... that the direction, <laughs> the way that he directs action is so elegant. Uh, uh, and elegant is, is, a, is a sad word to use for something that is so brutal. But, uh, but he's so good at it. He's so good at just, just smacking you against something. And, and dragging really, you across it. I really actually appreciate that. And then slicing, quite throwing it at your head. Where it hits the bone. Shut up, Kelly. Stop ruining my analogies. <laughs> Fuck. Huh. I hear you. All right, drive across concrete. Uh, I'm glad you guys Todd, saw it. All right, Todd so let, let me just... Oh, one more thing that Brian Becker said. Um, this is the second movie after Widows where there is a white, male, black, female relationship where the white male is the criminal who dies at the end and the black woman works for the city school system as a political flack. What? That's one Denise, more, and it's, and it's officially a genre. Wait, Laurie Holden's not the last. And he also says... He's talking about Vince Vaughn's girlfriend, Denise. Yeah. Brian also oh, says Mel Gibson tell. can still act. And I think Mel Gibson can act. I mean, I think no, he's, great. he's fine. Yeah. And these, his reputation helps certain parts. Yeah, definitely. I love the inward moment. I just love that. Yeah. Uh, I, that's just, that's, that right there is just like... Do a chef's kiss, perfect for that us. Is, <laughs> that is re- that was really smart. Yeah, it's yeah. black kiss, perfect. Really too. smart. Yeah. All right, well, Kelly Wan, real quick, tell the listeners what the three by three is that they should be thinking about in the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. Wait, how long do they have? They have Never until mind. May fifth, twenty nineteen, midnight Pacific, to send in their three by three of what. The three best tongues in movies, as in the body part and not the kitchen uh, utensil. Those would be tongue tongs. With U- right. T-O-N-G-U-E. All right. Uh, in and, movies. And where should they send those, Kelly Wand? 3x3 at quarter3.com. And Kelly Wand, what movie are we watching next week? Well, let's watch Dragon Cross Concrete again. All right, but what should we do for the podcast? Concrete <laughs> 2. First man. Anything but what we're doing. No. Wait, you know, are you serious? Oh, I'm, I'm excited oh, I'm for so it. I'm excited about this. Dude, it's three oh, hours crazy. and 90 minutes or something. Spoiler, first of all. And second of all, come on, you got to find out. I, I actually what? would be okay if something happened. you got to find out what happens. No, all right. I'll tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not selling you The movie's going to end and we're going to go, ugh. Well, all right, so we're going to do uh, – what is it even called? Like Marvel Infinity War Part 2? Like, what's the actual name of this movie, Dingus? You probably Endgame, know. Endgame, bro. Oh, Endgame. Endgame. It's a Avengers, big chess match Avengers between Avengers Endgame. Ah, okay. I think I even knew that. All right. So, Wait, uh, so Infinity War is never ending, and the next sequel to that's end. Furthermore, Kelly Wan, The Last Exorcism is not The Last Exorcism because there's a Part 2 coming. So there you go. Final Fantasy, there's 15 of them. I am Legend, the last man on Earth is not alone because his dog's alive. <laughs> well, he's the so last man. Vermont. Last man on Earth, Kelly Wand. See, dogs and Hispanic women, they're excluded from the title, so it's still accurately named. I see it as the poster gaslighting him. If yeah, you see man. if you see Civil War Endgame, <laughs> no, Marvel Avengers Endgame. You like the tongues in. Thank Send you your thoughts me. about that movie, and you know you're going to see it. So before Sunday, April 28th, midnight Pacific, oh. 
send your th- send your thoughts to three x three at quarter to three dot com, and Dingus will in, uh, incorporate them into our conversation, and we'll talk about. <laughs> what? <laughs> and... <laughs> what are we doing? I am so looking forward to the synopsis now. I love that you're so dismissive of it because I can't help but be excited. And I... Kelly, one, talk me down from this, please. <laughs> I'll be in it. I'll be in it two times. <laughs> See, this is something to be excited for. I'll be in it too, Tom. I play someone's dad. Sweet. What? I can't wait. Kevin Costner. TV's Kevin Costner. Well, look what, what you're in for. Everybody tune in for this What's next week. I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Mukowski. Ah, so we're using our made-up names. Uh, then I am Christian Murawski. And Kelly Wand. It should be called Avengers Stalemate. And Avengers and Mr. Freeze snaps his fingers all half of our life. The universe feels colder and slightly tired. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Cartaxula is also a delicious breakfast cereal, and unlike the Frankenberry, it doesn't make your shits pink over and there. You're not allowed to answer a question with a question. That doesn't make so me... Goofy's parents named him that? Seems like a dick move. <laughs>